a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about the great Australian dream today, housing. You know, everywhere you go, Keith, barbecues, dinner parties, <laughs> restaurants, people are talking about housing. Whether their house has gone up in value, gone down, the renovations they've done. Getting into the housing market, if you're a young person, you need to buy into the Australian housing market. It's a tough tough thing to do these days, particularly in Sydney, but elsewhere as well. But we're not the only ones, Keith, no, which is fascinating. No. Let's talk about our own obsession. Let's All move right. to the other countries. <laughs> well, in the case of Australia, I talk about the sacred nature of Australian bricks and mortar. So we've got one of the highest rates of home ownership in the world. Some people have said that may help to explain the low crime rate. In other words, that if you own your own home, you are connected to the local community and you're more likely to have a sense of ownership in that local community. So if you go back to 1995, the Clinton home ownership legislation. So this was legislation which Clinton signed into operation, went through Congress, which said that people should be encouraged to get home loans. The belief was that if they had their own homes, then they would be more committed to living in that home and less likely to be getting into to mischief. Of course, with the benefit of hindsight, they are the people who had the subprime loans, which contributed very greatly to the 2008 financial crisis. So some people, if they don't like the Democrats, blame President Clinton's 1995 uh, home ownership legislation. So that's part of the, the reasoning that went on in the United States. Now, what is interesting is that the recent rapid price increase is an an historical anomaly. So home ownership has not always been a, a good way to make money. And indeed, for most of Australia's European settlement, most Australians have been renters and not owners. It's only since World War II that we've really got into the business of home ownership. Indeed, between 1900 and 1950, there was house price stagnation until 1950. Now, all the people who can remember that period are dead. (laughs) So the people who um, are around now simply remember housing as a store of value. So in other words, that you get um, more money going into home ownership than, say, the Australian Stock Exchange. It's interesting that in, in one report here that it's simply the biggest risk issue in Australian finance. People are putting so much money into their own homes rather than stock exchange. So that's driving up the price. So we deregulated the banks beginning, let's say, 1979, Mrs Thatcher becomes Prime Minister. 1980, President Reagan becomes President. And then we followed in 1983. We deregulated banking. Before that time, credit was rationed. In other words, it was very difficult to be able to borrow money for anything. And if you're a single woman, you had to take your father or brother along to to get the loan. And the bank manager would speak to the male in the room, not to the woman trying to borrow the money, right? That has all ended. We've stopped the rationing of credit and credit is now being made freely available. And so the banks will come to you if necessary, to your home and sign you up for a loan. So this has meant that you've had more and more money 
flying into people's pockets and some of that money has in turn gone into housing. So you see this dramatic increase. So you made the comment about young people being unable to buy homes. You're right. It was their parents, particularly if they're baby boomers, who were in the right place at the right time. Banks got deregulated, plenty of money in circulation. And so they had money in their pockets to then buy their own homes. In the case of Mrs. Thatcher, she also sold off what we would call housing commission homes, the Americans would call project homes. In other words, homes or social housing, that's a new slogan. In other words, that people who would have rented from the local council or in Australia's case, the state government, she said to people, you can now buy your own home if you've been renting it. So that put a lot more homes into circulation. It also caused the housing crisis because there are a lot of people who simply couldn't afford to buy their own home where they'd been renting it. So they've ended up with problems. And we have in Australia today 166,000 homeless people. And it's so still an the issue, ones yeah. who've lost out on this. And also it's worth bearing in mind that three signs of poverty in old age, uh, remember ageing is a women's problem. Men tend to die quicker than the women, would be marital status, being single, being in poor health and renting rather than owning your own home. So one of the three factors determining... Is that you, in Australia only, Keith? That's no, that statistic- goes right the way across the board. Because, you know, we're focusing a lot on the current Australian situation, but we've got to bear in mind that what we're seeing in Australia is occurring in other countries as well, as people are piling into uh, investment in housing. So why do you think that, I mean, and everyone talks about this quarter acre block as well, are we shifting away from that, Keith? Yes, we are. And, and the reason for that is the cost and time involved with travel. So again, a bit of history here. People grew up in the cities in the 19, well, after World War II, that's, that's 1945. Before 1945, so the 1930s, the Great Depression, and then, uh, then World War II until 1945, no, very few children were born. 1945, the soldiers came home, they made up for lost time, and you end up with what's called the population bulge. So young families then moved out to the suburbs, to the greenfield sites. In Australia, but also in London, where I grew up, we were on the edge of London. We were still in London, but we were right on Boris Johnson's current constituency. We were right on the edge of London. So the family had moved out to a greenfield site, and so that's where the baby boomer children grew up being able to play in the garden, etc. Those homes now are no longer quite so fashionable because people are not having large homes. Oh, sorry, large families. So they don't need large homes. So you now get elderly baby boomers rattling around in large houses. And so what they're doing is, is trying to downsize, to use the slogan, and move back into the city. And so what we're seeing is a regeneration of the cities. So cities became slums. People moved out to the suburbs after the World War II period. There was a whole thing called Levitt Town, which is these towns that suddenly went on to farm meadows. And a whole new city was generated that way. In the United States, we're called Levitt Towns, building programs. But now the cities are getting a new lease of life And so we're having heaps of money spent in refurbishing city buildings. You know, if you look at somewhere like Melbourne, around all the old docklands, all those wharves have gone in terms of the loading and the storage of of containers. 
And now that area is being used for apartments. And that is a, a, something you see in Brisbane. You go to Brisbane, you see it in London on the, along the sides of the River Thames. So in other words, people are now moving back into the cities because they don't have lots of children. You don't need to have garden space and you got you don't have the nuisance of mowing the lawn. It's really interesting. I had this discussion quite a few years back with a friend of mine's husband because he could not get past the mentality of people wanting to have big houses to look after. He was born and grew up in Singapore, yeah. one of three kids who lived in an apartment in Singapore. And he said it just wasn't, it's not part of the way they think. Like it's just not, it's, it's such a foreign thing to them to want to have a big land to look after and, you know, live away from a city in a bustling area. Well, Singapore is a unique society. It's very wealthy but also very limited amount of, of space. Yeah. Yeah, he's he, he wouldn't be typical of the Asians generally. But you know what I mean, but yeah. you know what I mean in terms yeah. of like just that philosophy of needing that quarter acre block, yeah. which is sort of ingrained in so many people. But the, the reality is, you know, apartment living suits many around the world. Yeah. yeah, we've now got apartments being built in Sydney that don't have kitchens. What? <laughs> You're kidding. So, and and we call these people uh, street people because they live off the street, not because they're living in the street, but because you've got Woolies who will supply you with your food or coals, right? They'll, and Uber Eats will deliver to the door, right? So why do you bother to, to cook if the food can be brought to you? You've got somebody who will look after all of your cleaning for you. Um, where I live, they'll they'll take your dogs for a walk. In Japan, they will even ring your parents for you. No, <laughs> that is taking too far, Keith. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. This is Global Truth with Dr. Keith Souter, and today we are in this episode talking about housing and how Australians are really well. We first of all define how obsessed we are as a nation with housing and the housing market. We put all our money into the housing, into our houses as opposed to the stock market or anything else. It's seen mm. as the safe bet. And also because you want that little space to yourself to do whatever you want with it, Keith, really. Yeah. Have, you know, put your paintings up where you want to and all those kind of gear. Raise your kids there and not have to move. But aside from that, we're not the only country, by the way, New Zealand, England, America. Tell me about American... Yes. So this is a survey from The Economist magazine in Great Britain, and they did a survey um, of house prices that are now going to new heights, right? So remember we had the recession 10 years ago, or global financial crisis, we call it in Australia. So the country that's recovered fastest or gone highest has been New Zealand. Australia comes in at number two behind the Kiwis. In terms of the housing market? In terms of housing prices, yeah, and how well they've they've done. Canada, Britain, France... Spain, United States recovering, Germany is recovering as well. So these are all countries that are going through this recovery of house prices. Now, from an economics point of view, this is a bit of a worry because you can look at the economy and the indicators would seem to suggest that, in fact, you know, the economies are booming because obviously look at the, the price of houses. But the problem is that the Money is not going into innovation. It's not going into productivity. It's not going into entrepreneurs, not being used by imaginative governments for infrastructure projects. It's being driven by rising house prices and debt. So it's really good news for the bankers, but it's not driving us forward in the productivity era that we need to have. We've got to continue to be productive and innovative, and we're not doing that. We are being diverted 
by the need to put our money into housing. So on the one hand, you can look at these figures and say, oh, well, the Western economies are recovering very nicely, thank you, looking at the house price values. But then when you look under those values and you you then say, well, yeah, okay, the economy is booming well, but it's going into speculation in, in land. It's not going into devising the next great computer. It's not working for the, you know, for the youngsters in their garage, the Hewlett and Packards, et cetera, or the Steve Jobs and whatever, designing the new computers. And that's really what we need to be having, the innovation, productivity, work of entrepreneurs. It's gone into financial engineering, is what's called the financialization of the economy. In other words, that we are moving money around simply through the housing market. We're not developing the economy in terms of entrepreneurs or new innovations, et cetera. This is the real worry. And China's beginning to go down that path as well. China has also got its own housing boom. Again, it sort of boosts the overall economic figure. So you look at the economic figure and you think, oh, that's good. China is still continuing to grow, et cetera. But then when you dig down into the data, you, you see that it's actually being driven partly by house prices. Remember, the Chinese are, be, are now allowed to own their own homes, which under communism you're not allowed to do. And the, the communists confiscated the old imperial properties. But now people can own their own properties. They're investing in it, whereas they really ought to be spending more money on infrastructure, etc. So it's a really, it's a distortion of the economy. Sure, you can own your own home, you can have a second home, you can have a third home, uh, you know, as an investment, well, strictly you have one home, you have a second, which is an investment, or another one, which would be an investment. But then you're not actually boosting economic growth as such in the sense that you are encouraging innovation. So what's the answer then here in Australia, do you think, Keith? Well, it's very interesting because, you know, John Howard uh, made the comment that no homeowner has ever complained to me about the increase in the value of their home. In other words, politicians are saying, you don't touch a sleeping dog, you just let it lie, right? Homeowners are very happy with the continued increase in the value of the home. Now, I realise there's been a bit of a a levelling out, but we have not had the crash in this country that you saw in the United States a decade ago. And we have other reasons. In the United States and Australia, it's different types of mortgages. So in the United States, if you can't pay your mortgage, you just simply leave the keys in the front door and you drive off. That's what? it. Yep. So well, I was involved with a, a, a research house and in 2006, 2007, we noticed that Americans were no longer buying cars, but they were buying trucks. This was an early warning sign of an impending housing crisis. The subprime crisis, remember what I already referred to, President Clinton and the 1995 legislation. In other words, what was going on is that people had entered into these subprime loans, they couldn't make the payments, and therefore they were just driving off in the middle of the night and they lived in the cab of their truck. They put their possessions in the back and they lived in the cab, one or two, perhaps three, living in the cab, going around looking for work. So that was for us an early warning sign that the American economy was heading for trouble. So that's the American system. You leave the keys in the door and you just drive off. In Australia, you cannot do that. So in Australia, there's far greater control 
over credit and mortgage, which meant, therefore, that, yes, we have had a reduction in the price of homes, but nowhere near as dramatic as the United States because people know that if they stop paying the mortgage, the banks will go after them. Their credit scores will be wrecked. So they will do everything they can, including going without food, to be able to meet the mortgage payments. So we have avoided the crisis that characterised the United States. God, that's scary in itself, isn't it? The way you described it, it's so dramatic, Keith. <laughs> but reality. It's, that's the reality. That's all I'm interested in is, is the reality. Yeah. And so uh, this is, the, the, if you like, the politics of home ownership that um, for, I just can't see any very easy way of trying to solve this. We're, we're moving into an era of generational welfare, a uh, warfare. The young are impatient and poor and see older Australians as sitting on all that wealth locked up in their homes. And a recent report from the Grattan Institute has said that when those older people die, they're dying at a much older age. And so when it's left to their children, the children by this time are in their 60s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what good is it then? Exactly. They've already got enough. They've got their own home. Yeah. So well. we're seeing this huge transfer of generational wealth, but the transfer is taking place too late because the baby boomers themselves are in their 50s and 60s. So these, these are distortions we're seeing in the, the market, you know, and people are saying that, um, that that we have real problems with this. But let me just say the global trend is that what we can see in Australia, you can see in Hong Kong, San Francisco, Auckland, which is New Zealand, Vancouver, London, Berlin, and Manhattan. So the house price movements have become correlated across the developed world. So you see the house price movements all going in almost in sync. It's quite spooky because they're talking about a local housing market, but it's a global trend. They all go at the same rate. Um, and so it's very interesting that Vancouver, for example, in Canada, has raised its transaction tax on property purchases by non-residents, which is a polite way of talking about China, from 15% to 20%. So they are trying to damp down the foreign acquisition of homes. That's mainly done by the Chinese. The Chinese have got so much money and they're worried about the government confiscating it. So what you do is that you buy an apartment, as we see here in Sydney and Melbourne, you don't live in it, you don't put tenants in it. So you have these buildings where the lights never go on because the Chinese are just parking their money there, but it's safer to park it in Melbourne rather than risk the government back in Shanghai or Beijing. Oh, the amount of stories I've heard, Keith, about Chinese buying up a property under the nose of somebody else, you know, someone I know has bid on the same property, for yeah. example, and then the, to add insult to injury, they don't even use no, it. No, they never use it. Uh, but this is not a trend unique to Australia. That's what I'm trying to argue. We're seeing it in other cities around the world. So housing has become a major economic factor. Again, we've just tended to take that for granted, but I think there are bigger economic issues that we need to think about when we think about home ownership. Interesting. As always, Thank Dr you. Keith. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.